Water, water everywhere, but not a drop to drink. When those words from the poem The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner were first published in 1798, the English poet Samuel Taylor Coleridge described the story of a sailor who had returned from a long sea voyage, what was gained, and what was lost on the journey. Now, if Coleridge were writing today, the line might have read, data, data everywhere, but is it enough to think? A fully digitized hospital could have dozens of distinct software systems providing data populated into an EMR. You have admissions, the anesthesia, home care, intensive care, and don't forget about the data coming in from other providers, drug registries, and the like. But are all these data sources providing clinicians real-time intelligence that can help them support patient populations? Or are they real-time headaches that drive clinicians toward fatigue and burnout? Are we awash in a sea of data without a lifeboat of wisdom? Welcome to Steps to Value, a podcast that explores the intersection of people, processes, and technology in healthcare as the industry moves towards a value-focused model. I'm your host, Rod Pihowski, and in today's episode, we'll explore the promise and the reality of clinical intelligence with HIMSS North American board member, Ruben Amarasingham, president and CEO of PCCI, a nonprofit clinical research and development corporation specializing in real-time predictive and surveillance analytics for healthcare. We'll also hear from James Darren, director of IT planning at CareTech Solutions, about predictions he'll be sharing with the HIMSS Innovation Community on healthcare trends that will best engage multiple generations of consumers. All that and more coming up. I'm here with James Darren, Director of Information Technology, Healthcare Planning at CareTech Solutions. James, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. It'll be a pleasure to speak with you. Well, how, sh- how should a healthcare organization evaluate the, the kind of value that it expects to get um, from its IT investments? First of all, finding value really begins at the top, having clear strategies and goals for your organization, and then going through a process where you develop IT strategies to match these goals. Um, in organizations, there's always more requests than resources or funding available, so it's imperative that organizations pursue initiatives that are going to provide not only the most value, but also that are achievable. So uh, our recommendation really is that organizations need to establish clear criteria to evaluate and prioritize these investments. Key criteria to support the goals of the organization are typically would include a high quality of care, financial savings, investments in staff and workers, connecting with the community, um, and also criteria that should be considered include, does the initiative increase patient safety? Does it result in financial savings? Will it help staff to better perform their jobs? And will it enable connecting with the community and improve customer satisfaction? Um, Organizations may have different things they evaluate, but others could be things like, is this investment benefit the enterprise or a single department? Can it be done with available staff? Is it a regulatory mandate? Can I afford to do this? What are my chances for success? What kind of maintenance um, investments are needed? And will this result in improved efficiency? The the only other thing to really consider is that projects need to be ranked and they may need to be budgeted over several years. 
Well, what do you think has had the biggest impact on the technology maturity of healthcare organizations across the U.S.? Two things really come to mind. Um, One is that the mandate of meaningful use over the past several years has resulted in huge increases in the technology capabilities of caregivers. Um, 35% of hospitals right now are at the highest level, six or seven of the HIMSS analytics maturity model, where not a single hospital was at this level just 10 years ago. Um, And despite, you know, we hear a lot of dissatisfaction of providers because it slows them down, but they do have a foundation now that's going to enable them to achieve their goals and be compliant into the future. The um, organizations are positioned now to have adequate characteristics for success that are needed, and these all include not just infrastructure and applications, but also the staffing that's educated and can perform the functions needed, uh, a proper culture as well, and workflow processes. Um, And of all of these, the biggest barrier has been to overcome is the culture of providers and staff who now depend on uh, technology to do their jobs. Um, The other one is the internet, social media, and smartphones. Um, These innovations have changed the culture of Americans who now expect technology instead of seeing it as just a toy to play with. I mean, and as a result, there's a lot of healthcare applications that are out there that people are really tuning into, such as patient portals, devices that do real-time tracking of vitals, uh, allowing people to take ownership of their health. So as consumers have become more tech-savvy of having technology in their pocket, it, it's really an addiction now that they're, they really depend on technology to help them um, not only in their lives but to care for their health. And is that the area that um, you would think more innovations are occurring right now that affect patients and their ownership of their own health status and, and the data about their health? Um, absolutely. I mean, uh, patient portals, they don't just show patient health information but they're being expanded to be interactive, and, you know, who doesn't use the Internet now? So you're going to see that shift in people caring for their health to actually entering things into the system and monitoring things a lot closer. Um, High cost of insurance also entices a more healthy lifestyle as consumers are being rewarded for being healthy, and they're given penalties if they're not. Access to information anytime, anywhere, people expect it now but people can now find educational materials about their condition and they'll be better prepared to treat themselves. And also personal health tracking devices are big. Consumers can receive real-time feedback of their health status. Uh, right now it's, it's really popular to, dra- to use these devices to track your daily activity, number of steps, calories, weight, and vital signs. The next step is merging this information into a personal health record to provide health and uh, a record across their continuum of care. Well, one of the things that we do on this podcast is we talk a lot uh, about that we, we try and get at the people who are behind the transformation of healthcare. So we ask everybody this question, what's your favorite technological invention and what do you think its impact has been on our culture? Well, actually, the, the one I have most in mind really is the growth of analytics and data in healthcare. Um, And I don't think of that as being an invention much as a technology. Uh, It's the growth of meaningful information. It's not just providing data, but it's providing wisdom to to people that use the system as well as providers. Um, This is really the filtering of big data into algorithms that provide insights. You know, in the last year alone, the amount of data available for research has grown 
about more than double. It's probably grown 10 times to what it was before, and in 10 years it's grown 45 times. And what I really am intrigued by is the development of Watson that IBM now is taking care of uh, for healthcare. They've made huge investments and great progress into improving the decision capabilities of caregivers and consumers. Well, I'm really intrigued by this is no longer a patient's dependent upon the knowledge of their single primary care provider, but also they can grow upon the experiences and outcomes of thousands of similar cases by using these algorithms. James Darren is Director of Information Technology Healthcare Planning at CareTech Solutions. James, thank you so much again for joining us. Oh, you're welcome, Rod. Have a great day. M17 is the meeting place for all things health IT. Experience over 300 education programs, more than 1,200 vendors, hundreds of special programs, and limitless networking opportunities. Collaborate with HIMSS and thousands of colleagues worldwide as you work to positively transform health and lives through IT. Register today at HIMSSConference.org. I'm here with Ruben Amarasingham, President and CEO of PCCI and a member of the HIMSS North American Board of Directors. Ruben, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you so much for inviting me here. Well, let's get right to the conversation here. Have we achieved the promise of, uh, of being able to effectively integrate clinical intelligence into our care delivery process? And, and where do you see uh, our progress? What's, what have we accomplished and what remains to be done? think the next step would be? I, I think the next step is we, we now have data being collected, let's say, within the health system. This allows for greater and greater complex data analysis. Uh, this is combined, when combined with sort of the increase in computational power and data capture from other sectors like clinical, social, behavioral, economic, genomic, environmental. When you bring all of those together, that gives more and more capability for uh, systems and computers to model decision making the way that clinicians would. And when when those models start approximating 
clinical thought, then they're going to be more valuable, more useful, more credible, and allow for us to deliver care more effectively, I think, at scale. So I think these are the next steps, combining all these different types of data and then, and then making that possible for approximating human thought. And that's no easy task. Uh, let's just be honest, right? How do you approximate human thought? We still don't even really understand a lot of that, and yet we want to put that kind of technology into, um, you know, in, into computing systems. You're exactly right. And I, I think there's going to have to be a lot of thought and care with this. We have to do this in stages. We, we have to think about the, the clinical encounter, I think, is different than almost any other encounter uh, that we're bringing machines into because it's a high voltage emotional, physical, and spiritual situation for a patient. They're dealing with their body. They might be dealing with their mental illness. There's a lot at stake, and there's a lot of nuances that uh, aren't always rational. And all of those processes need to be brought together in, in supporting decision-making the, the processes around that. So I think it is one of the most difficult areas to model in terms of human thought and human expectations. It has to be very carefully done under, I think, significant scientific scrutiny. And it's all very data-dependent, right? So what we collect now will have a lot to do with what we can do in the future. That's absolutely correct. You know, I think we are still data-poor, in my view. Um, we still don't have the data, all of the data that we need, or if we made big strides within the healthcare system by making most healthcare delivery systems uh, increasingly electronic. But we're still missing, number one, other sectors that may be more important. We're increasingly recognizing the social determinants of health, environmental data, social data, economic data, health behavior data. We're starting to collect those, but it's often disconnected from clinical data. So we have a problem of integration. And then we have you know, significant issues to consider around privacy and security that may make people scared to share their data for good reason. We have a number of ethical, legal, and regulatory issues to resolve. All of those need to be properly addressed and then resolved. Uh, and, then, and then only then will we start recognizing some of the promise of this. Aside from what's already been mentioned, um, wh what would be a common roadblock that you see as far as providers trying to integrate this type of uh, process into their clinical workflow? There's a number. I mean, I think first is there's a trust issue, trust and autonomy. Uh, do they trust what these systems are providing, perhaps sometimes over their own judgment, or should they ever uh, over their own judgment? Second is there's questions that physicians may ask about their own autonomy and the personal agency if you have these predictive modeling systems that are promoting specific decisions or supporting specific decisions. So I think there's, you know, I think number one, the clinicians that will embrace this first probably will be what we call the early adopters, the ones who believe uh, in these systems, who believe that they can make them more effective and helpful. Um, and then over time, as those systems succeed, I think there will be more widespread adoption. I think the second part is that uh, we still have to understand uh, where are the limitations in this interim period of 
sort of imperfect system with uh, with uh, interacting with clinicians because there's always going to be these predictive models at the end of the day are still probabilities and they may make the uh, they may make the wrong judgments at times and how do we make sure that the clinicians can provide proper oversight of that on the other hand I think what you also have is this burgeoning biomedical knowledge base that clinicians are increasingly going to have a difficult time mastering um, by themselves, depending on the, who you talk to, the doubling time of medical information is, is just increasing at a rapid rate beyond the ability of a single human brain to comprehend. And so we're, I think we will find clinicians uh, needing to depend on these systems more and more for, for good care. But we're in this nether period, not knowing fully how to integrate it, what's required, what are the constraints, um, as well as uh, a training system, which is still kind of heavily based on long training for physicians, you know, eight to ten years, still heavily dependent on content mastery. So I think there's going to be changing in the training, the responsibility of clinicians, as well as improvement in these systems incrementally before we can really use these in a widespread way. Well, that's definitely a topic that we could probably do an entire podcast on. Yeah. But <laughs> one of the things that I also wanted to talk to you about was um, your organization and this topic of pay equity. And HIMSS is uh, doing a lot of work around this area. Is gender pay equity a woman's issue? And what is PCCI doing? How have you approached it with your own operations? Well, first of all, PCCI is very focused on developing predictive modeling technologies to improve the care and quality of healthcare. And so we are highly focused on trying to bring the best talent to our organization. And so let me first say that this issue for our organization, I think for the industry in general, the health information technology industry, is absolutely not a woman's issue. Um, from my perspective, from the work we're involved with, it truly is an industry issue. And there's a lot of reasons for that. One, there's just not enough talent in the form of data scientists, engineers, health service researchers, the biomedical informatics, clinical backgrounds, that that we need to do this work. And it's similar to technology companies that need to go out of country sometimes for talent. We need to be, we need to be drawing from the entire talent pool, male and female equally, uh, to tackle the most challenging uh, problems ahead of us and opportunities. And so uh, a directive from our organization is to draw the, the best talent we can, male and female, um, into our organization. I think in addition to a couple other points, which is that particularly for the field of machine intelligence and medicine, which for all the reasons we described, needs a diverse set of perspectives, experience, and views. And, you know, probably most importantly because healthcare serves men and women and therefore it also needs men and women with their views and their experiences to supply and shape this most cutting edge work. So we have recognized this, you know, as a major business imperative to do the right work, to even inform our work of bringing, you know, these complex technologies into kind of mainstream practice and, and do it safely with with respect for um, the, all the patients that are coming, we think 
create an organization that welcomes and celebrates female talent. So this has been uh, a core tenet for us, and uh, we're very proud that you know as of this month, you know our staff is 60% female, with 64% of female staff in a management or senior manager role. We also have uh, very focused on diversity, and we have 25% uh, of our workforce is African American, 25% Asian, 8% Latino. So we we have what I think for a research and development organization with many PhDs, MDs, MDPhDs, um, data scientists, um, a really diverse uh, uh, organization by, by gender and race. And how it plays out for us is we think we have a much more creative approach to our predictive modeling work, um, which is trying to serve patients from all, all backgrounds. And so we've really been excited by our achievement in this area. I think you asked the question, you know, how did we get here? Uh, I think, in retrospect, it was not as though we set out with a specific goal, but we do have an established set of core values, which we really try to drive our operations, business philosophy, and strategy around. There's seven core values, and uh, two of those um, I'll mention. One is teamwork outweighs individual brilliance, and this. And the, the next is make others successful. And I think, you know, as a result of focusing on those core values, we've had a culture or we try to develop a culture where we we really try to hire, promote, and then we reorganize and reshuffle as periodically needs to occur. We do that without blinders and filters because we want to make sure that the team outweighs sort of individual brilliance and that we want to have a, a, a corporate ethos where we're making others successful. And I think those two values in particular drove us to ending up having a culture where we had a lot of females that did really well, uh, were excited to be here, excited to be recruited here, and and, and as a result, we've, we've ended up with um, a significant number of women in leadership management positions. So I think that's been very exciting that it's, it's sort of emerged um, organically from our, our uh, corporate values. Um, and what we found now that it's, you know, in this really difficult recruiting uh, market for strong data science talent within clinical medicine, we've, this has been a real differentiator. We've just gotten some amazing talent of, of folks that want to be part of an organization like that. Um, I, I would say lastly, obviously, I think it really matters to have uh, a strong senior management and CEO perspective on this that cares about the issue and makes sure it happens. And so that, that's at least been our story. Who was your first mentor and what was the best piece of advice you got? So, you know, outside of my parents, who were probably my original mentors, my, my first, you know, uh, professional mentor was the late Ron J. Anderson, MD, who was a former CEO of Parkland Health and Hospital System. Um, one of the most uh, accomplished CEOs uh, in healthcare was uh, CEO of Parkland for almost 30 years. And I had met him when I was 24. He mentored me for 16 years. And the best piece of advice he gave me was the secret of management and mentorship is love. And it's an interesting statement because organizations have to do difficult things. They have to reorganize, lay off, fire sometimes, 
uh, make difficult uh, decisions about directions that could in fact impact uh, employees and families. And so to be able to conduct yourself in a way that um, uh, has that management credo of that love is, a, is the center of it, um, I think it's difficult. And he really lived that even while making the, the toughest decisions uh, that wouldn't make somebody popular. And so how, how you achieve that, I think when you're able to do that, um, you really can do some special things for organizations. So I don't think I'm able, I have been able to live to it, the same example he set, but it's something I certainly aspire to and, and value deeply. I think it makes it, 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 it really creates, sets the right tone for organizations. Well, we have time for one more question, and we ask this of all of our guests. Um, what's your favorite technological invention, and what do you think its impact has been on our culture? For me, the, the probably my favorite invention, technology invention of all time, is the Internet. Um, I think the, the impact of the Internet on almost all of our aspects of society and culture are just profound. I mean, probably impossible to fully estimate. Um, I think... Specifically, I think it logarithmically enables human potential because it allows for data, knowledge, and information, and, and I think then a byproduct, which is power, to be accessible and democratized. And I don't think the full potential of it is fully realized. Uh, of course, you know, it can be used for nefarious purposes, like any great invention. But I think the just the networking of you know, this, this incredible network that it's created and the spread of information and knowledge has been absolutely transformative. Ruben Amarassingham is president and CEO of PCCI, and he's a member of the Hims North America Board of Directors. Ruben, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. So what impact do you think clinical intelligence has had on the delivery of healthcare? Does clinical decision support effectively support clinical decision making? Send us your thoughts as a voice memo or email, and we'll play it on the air or read it at the end of our next episode. You can send your comments to value at hymns.org. We'd like to thank our guest, Ruben Amarazingham, for sharing his perspective on clinical intelligence, as well as his thoughts on the pay equity gap in the health industry. Thanks as well to James Darren for discussing upcoming trends in the healthcare space. For more information on everything discussed by today's guests, please visit this episode's landing page at hymns.org slash Steps to Value. Steps to Value is a production of Hymns North America. Steps to Value is co-produced by Adam Bazer. Rhonda Frazier is our story editor and guest relations manager. I'm Rod Pihowski. See you next time on Steps to Value.